Hello and welcome to the Bold Believer Podcast, a podcast focusing on apologetics and faith-based questions and answers, diving deep into the historical evidence for the Christian faith, truths founded in Scripture, and how it plays out in the world we live in today. And now, here is your host, Josh Snyder. Alrighty, righty, righty. Hello and welcome to episode number six of the Bold Believer Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Schneider. With me in the studio once again is my man. It is Talon Art, and I'm excited yeah, today. Don't you forget it. It's Talon Art. Today we've got a, a topic that's super large, super deep, so much to go into, and so hopefully we have time in this 30 30 minute section of uh, of podcasting allotment, and uh, so we're gonna we're gonna dive right in. Today we're gonna talk about some Bible prophecy, and one of the key reasons why I feel we should discuss uh, Bible prophecy, at least at times, is is to uh, not only encourage our faith, but to uh, give us the insight into some of the details that we can share with uh, a world onlooking, wondering why we believe that old book. And there's also people that say. That they can't believe in God because there's no evidence of God. But through his word and through prophecy, God has made it evident to all people who would read and research and, and dive deep into his word that things that were written years and years, hundreds and hundreds of years Thousands, before yeah. they've even happened, yeah. come to pass. Oh yeah, And this is how God shows who he is. Yep. And it's a, a way of showing who he is. Yeah, I heard a story about a man who was standing at the bottom of a hill and his buddy looked up and said, hey, see that car? All right, that car is going to have a license plate number uh, 235679. And the car goes by and it has that license plate. And his buddy's like, oh, that, that was nothing. He probably knew who it was. And he said, okay, well, the car that's not even to the hill yet, um, that we can't see yet, it's going to be a blue Camaro with a license plate that says Jiminy Cricket on it. And... Uh, a, a muffler that has a glass pack on it. And uh, he gets over the hill and exactly how he said it was going to be. And his buddy's a little bit more like, okay, okay. And uh, and then he goes on and gives even more detail the next following vehicles. And about five or six vehicles in, his buddy said, okay, okay, I know, I know. You're going to know what's what's coming next. You're going to know what, what the next vehicle's going to be. Let's, let's, let's go on with our day. It's not a true story, but it essentially shows what the Bible does when it sh- when it gives us predictions of so precise detail, such precise detail that um, some people have speculated that if you filled the state of Texas up and uh, I think it was I don't know, it was ten feet of silver dollars all the way across the state of Texas, and then dropped a single silver dollar in that in that pile of silver dollars across the whole state, and then sent a blind man out there to find it, that blind man would pick it up that would be the chances of this particular uh this particular prophecy coming to pass into completion 100% as we're about to uh, show for you here today and how scripture has backed this prophecy up and it coming to fruition completely so if you got a bible handy we're going to open up and uh be uh, speaking on a prophecy found in Ezekiel chapter 26 Ezekiel chapter 26 all right Talon could you start in Ezekiel chapter 26 and read verse 3 through uh I think 5 or 6 for us sir yeah therefore thus saith the Lord God behold I am against thee O Tyre and will cause many nations to come up against thee as the sea causeth his waves to come up. And they shall destroy the walls of Tyre, and break down her towers. And I will also scrape her dust from her, and make her like the top of a rock. It shall be a place for the spreading of nets in the midst of the sea, for I have spoken it, saith the Lord God. And it shall become a spoil to the nations. And her daughters which are in the field shall be slain by the sword, and they shall know that I am the Lord." 
For thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will bring upon Tyre Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, a king of kings, from the north, with horses, and with chariots, and with horsemen, and companies, and much people. He shall slay with the sword thy daughters in the field, and he shall make a fort against thee, and cast a mount against thee, and lift up the buckler against thee. Just a few things in passing real quick. Talon read about the uh, destruction starting in the city of Tyre. There are many things detailed there in the very beginning. And uh, we're going to have a diagram that we're going to mention here in a moment to kind of keep this uh, laid out um, fairly clear about everything that's going on in this prophecy. But one of the things that it talks about here, it says, I will destroy her daughters. Let's see here. Let me read there in verse 6. Verse 6. And her daughters which are in the field shall be slain by the sword. I didn't want to overlook this without getting getting too far here. Um, those daughters are in reference to the uh, daughter communities, the villages that were outlining this major metropolis of a city that was uh, of this day. So it goes on to say in uh, verse 8, He shall slay with the sword thy daughters in the field, and he shall make a fort against thee. So it goes on to say in verse 9, He shall set engines of war against thy walls, and with his axes he shall break down thy towers. By reason of the abundance of his horses, their dust shall cover thee. Thy walls shall shake at the noise of the horsemen, and of the wheels, and of the chariots, when he shall enter into thy gates, as men enter into a city wherein is made a breach." With the hoofs of his horses shall he tread down all thy streets. He shall slay thy people by the sword, and thy strong garrison shall go down to the ground. And they shall make a spoil of thy riches, and a prey of thy merchandise. And they shall break down thy walls, and destroy the pleasant houses. And they shall lay thy stones, and thy timber, and thy dust in the midst of the water." Real quick, one more thing I'm going to say in passing. It's going to be really relevant to when we discuss this uh, diagram of this prophecy or, or how this is supposed to lay out. You'll notice at the beginning it talks about the city of Tyre being made like the top of a rock. And I say that because you'll you'll also notice a few things in this prophecy. It isn't all in order. It is not said in order because if the city of Tyre was made like the top of a rock first and foremost, which means cleared off, like everything was scraped, the dust was scraped as it says at the very beginning of this prophecy, Nebuchadnezzar would not have to enter through the gates and destroy the houses and burn down the city and and things like that. And so keep that in mind as we're going through here. It goes on to say, and uh, I believe Talon has the next verse, verse 13. And I will cause the noise of thy songs to cease, and the sound of thy harps shall be no more heard. And I will make thee like the top of a rock, thou shalt be a place to spread nets upon. Thou shalt be built no more, for I the Lord have spoken it, saith the Lord God. Thus saith the Lord God to Tyre, Shall not the isles shake at the sound of thy fall? When the, when the wounded cry, when the slaughter is made in the midst of thee? Verse 19, go down to verse 19. There's just a few capping verses that we'll give here, and then we'll get down to this, this amazing prophecy and pull out those details. Verse 19 says, For thus saith the Lord God, When I shall make thee a desolate city, like the cities that are not inhabited, when I shall bring upon the deep upon thee, the great waters shall cover thee. Great water shall cover thee. And the final verse we're going to read is verse 21. I will make thee a terror, and thou shalt be no more. Though thou be sought for, yet shalt thou never be found again, saith the Lord God. Hmm. Wow. 
Lots of details, lots and lots of details. Just about as much, I mean, if you if you start looking at the birth of Christ and things like that, you'll find just about as many details in Scripture, if not a lot more. I mean, I kinda, I'm saying that kind of facetiously because there's details about Christ's birth and, and how this this Messiah would be and who he would be and what line he would be from and things like that. Maybe we'll get into the details of his birth closer to Christmas here. But the uh, the prophecy of this destruction of this city, or the destruction of this city, is one of the most amazing prophecies you'll find in Scripture. Let's break down some details here. Tyre came to prominence in about 1200 BC. 1200 BC was when it was at its peak, at its peak point. It was a metropolis of a city. It was one of the best ports on the Mediterranean Sea, and it stood at the crossroads between worldwide land and ship training because of its location. The problem with Tyre is found in Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 16 and 18, where Ezekiel, the prophet Ezekiel gives us a couple of details um, from, from God about the city of Tyre. So if you want to turn over to Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 16 through 18. Talon, would you read uh, verses 16 through 18 for us? By the multitude of thy merchandise, they have filled the midst of thee with violence, and thou hast sinned. Therefore, I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, and I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Thine heart was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. I will cast thee to the ground. I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, by the iniquity of thy traffic. Therefore will I bring forth a fire from the midst of thee. It shall devour thee, and I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all them that behold thee. Hmm. And everyone beholds them. Even now we look back to this prophecy and look upon this destruction that God prophesied upon Tyre thousands of years ago. Um, at the very beginning of Ezekiel 28, it says, Son of man, say unto the prince of Tyre, thus saith the Lord God. And then goes on to give the details of this prophecy. And uh, the uh, the destruction of Tyre was foretold, and it came to pass. And we're going to give you some details in regards to that. So what do we find here in this passage? What prophecies do we find in this passage? And let's pull them out. Like I said a moment ago, not the, the the way the prophecies were laid out. They weren't laid out in chronological, chronological order. They weren't laid out from start to finish exactly how it would happen. They were all laid out in great detail, but that does not mean that they were laid out in such a way that that was how it was going to start and that was how it was going to end, though we do see it ending as it, as it did end. The spreading of nets was what is taking place over on the city area of Tyre today. We'll get into a little bit more details of that in a second, but we see Nebuchadnezzar was supposed to come up against them. Nebuchadnezzar was going to build a siege mount against them. Many nations would come up against Tyre. Uh, the city would be flattened like the top of a rock. The stones and the timbers and the soils of the land thrown into the sea. I wonder what that's all about. Why would it need to be thrown into the sea, and why would God add that to the prophecy? It would also become a place where men would spread nets, and the original city of Tyre would never be rebuilt again. Never be rebuilt again. We see that, and, and probably a few other little details in there that, that we don't have time to get into today, but... The first detail we want to look at here is Nebuchadnezzar coming up against the city of Tyre and specifically destroying the villages on the outlying uh, city of Tyre. We go on to see the fulfillment of these prophecies, and let's get into some detail then. Nebuchadnezzar did come up against the city of Tyre and besieged it, destroying first and foremost the sister colonies outside of the city of Tyre. That, they were the easy ones to get. They were outside of this amazing city. They were, they were not walled in like the city of Tyre was, so he took those out first on his way over to Tyre. Then he sieged Tyre for 13 to 14 years. That's a long time to be waiting outside of some walls, hoping that they'll starve to death. 
That was one of the reasons why they had to defeat the outlying cities is because those outlying cities and villages and farming communities is what gave this city the produce and the things that it needed to survive. This took place in 586 BC. 586 BC is what we read in history. In that time, and in that time, the people of Tyre took everything of importance and moved from the mainland city of Tyre out to an island about three-fourths of a mile, or three-quarter mile off the coast of mainland Tyre. Nebuchadnezzar eventually broke through and destroyed the walls of the mainland city of Tyre. He built a siege against Tyre, as Scripture says. He destroyed those surrounding villages, as Scripture says he would, both Czech and Czech in the first uh, you know, 10, 15 years probably there, and was one of the many nations that came up against Tyre in the years, not including the ones that would come up against him in the years to follow. But if you were just looking at the prophecy from the fact that Nebuchadnezzar did not conquer the people of Tyre as a whole, like Scripture said that they were going to be conquered, like, he gives the scripture gives detail that that horses are going to trot over them, the the people are going to be destroyed, and and the city is going to be wiped off the face of the planet. If if we just looked at those details and looked at how he conquered the city, and he conquered the mainland city, like people whoever was still there, he took out and he broke some stuff and he burned some stuff, and and history goes on to show that he just he left essentially. He didn't have the fleet to go on and chase them out to this island, and so he uh, he uprooted and went back home. Maybe he was getting kind of old and bored of sitting and waiting. I don't know exactly what went through his mind, but he went home, and he did not conquer like Scripture said he was going to conquer. At least at first glance, we thought he was going to be the one to finish this prophecy. Something we always have to note is getting to the end of the story and pulling out all of the details before losing our minds on what sometimes seems like contradiction from God or him not being a being of his word. Let's go on to see the furtherance of this prophecy. 250 years go by and the completion of this prophecy has still yet to be seen. Then one day, about 330 BC, Talon, take it away. Yeah, so about around 330 BC, there was a king called Alexander the Great. He was one of the, the, the biggest kings, the fastest kings to conquer the world and conquer as much ground as he did and the, the rate and the time he did it. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was out strolling around with his army, just trying to conquer the known world when he came just, upon... Just strolling around, you know. Yeah, just came, <laughs> you know, he just came to the city of Tyre. History note records that Alexander the Great sent out ambassadors for tribute money from the city of Tyre. And Tyre's response... Okay, I found this on the web for no records of Alexander <laughs> <Stop>. <laughs> Really? History records. History records that Alexander the Great sent out ambassadors for tribute money from the city of Tyre, and Tyre responds by throwing his ambassadors' dead bodies over the walls. So needless to say, Alexander did not like that too much at all. So Alexander immediately began constructing a battle plan to take down that island city. First, he went in and took all of the rubble that was destroyed from the mainland city that was still sitting there in ruins, not to be rebuilt, not rebuilt again, and took all of that rubble sitting there. And what he did was he picked it up, had his men pick it up, and drag it over to the edge of the... uh, coast there and start throwing it in the sea when it wasn't enough he he took the dust and the the rubble the little things that that maybe didn't matter so much and in most cases he started scraping the top of that to get every piece of rock and and dirt and debris that he could and threw that into the water as well he built a land bridge just big enough to get troops out there 
There are some great details that I'd like to read here before we get too far about some of the things I just mentioned and how this siege uh, took place and what, what went on during the siege and how it was finally how it finally came to completion from Alexander the Great. There's some amazing things I want to point out, so I'm going to read some things found on not only Wikipedia, but the research done from uh, Diodorus, the, one of the, the historians that lived in that time, who wrote down some things about this event. And so, here we go. As Alexander could not attack the city from the sea, he built a kilometer long, 200 foot wide, as claimed by Diodorus, causeway stretching out from the island on a natural land bridge, no more than two meters deep. So it was fairly skinny in this area. The, it was easy to start throwing that stone, the stones in where he needed to throw it in. He started, you know, making very quick movement out towards this island that, that the people were on by throwing stones in the water. This causeway that he was building allowed his artillery to get in range of the walls and is still there to this day as it was made out of the stones from the city. As the work came near to the city walls of Tyre, however, the water became so much deeper and the combined attacks from the walls and the Tyrant's navy made construction nearly impossible. You know, now they had to stack up so much more um, brick and stone and rubble and things that they needed to fill in that gap that they had now to face. Therefore, Alexander constructed two towers, 50 meters, 160 feet high, and moved them to the end of that causeway. Like most of Alexander's siege towers, these were moving artillery platforms with catapults on top to clear defenders off the wall and ballista below to hurl rocks at the walls and attacking ships. Man, just imagine that. Like this, this bridge they're building out, thousands of men out there constructing this bridge and these large tower sitting at the top of this causeway that's half built trying to shoot artillery units that are sitting on the wall maybe it's just the little boy minding me that's going off right now but uh, there's just an amazing scene an amazing battle something you'd put in a movie unfolding right here man they need to make a movie about this maybe they have i don't know it goes on to say the towers were made out of wood but they were covered in rawhide to protect them from fire arrows man this guy thought of everything Anyway, although these towers were possibly the largest of their kind ever made, the tyrants quickly devised a counterattack. They used an old horse uh, transport ship, and they filled it with dried branches, pitch, sulfur, and various other combustibles. Then they hung cauldrons of oil from the mast so that they could fall onto the deck once the mast burned through. They also weighed down the back of the ship so that the front rose above the water and then set that ship on fire and ran it onto the causeway. Man, man that's some amazing detail these guys are coming on. Like, woo! Uh, I, my imagination is going wild right now. Anyway, it goes on to say, The fire spread quickly, engulfing both towers and the other siege equipment that had been brought up. The tyrant ships swarmed the pier, destroying any siege equipment that hadn't caught fire and driving off Macedonian crews who were trying to put out the fires. After this setback, Alexander was peeved. I mean convinced. It goes on to say convinced. He doesn't actually say peeved. Alexander was convinced that he would not be able to take Tyre without a navy. However, his previous victory of Isis and subsequent conquests of the Phoenician city-states of Bybulus, Awad, and Sidon had meant that the fleets of their cities, which had composed most of the, the Persian navy, came under his banner. He was now their ruler, and so he had a fleet. This immediately gave him command of the fleet of, of, of a large fleet of 80 
battleships. This development coincided also with the arrival of 120 war galleys sent by the king of Cyprus, who had heard of his victories and wished to join him. That sounds like a kiss-up to me. Anyway, with the arrival of another 23 ships from the Greek city-states of Iona, Alexander had 223 galleys under his command, giving him command of the sea. Along with the navy, he broadened the width of his mole to allow for more defensive engines to provide proper protection from the tyrants. When his new fleet, or with his new fleet, Alexander's forces sailed on to Tyre and quickly blockaded both ports with its superior numbers, blocking off any, any exits or entrances. Alexander had several of the slower galley ships and a few bargers refitted with battering rams. He went on to find that there were large underwater blocks of stone that the tyrants had set up that kept the ram from reaching the walls. Alexander had them removed by crane ships. And there was a huge operation. This took, you know, a long time. It wasn't years. I think it was nine months in total, if I remember correctly. Anyway, the rams were then anchored near the walls, but the tyrants sent out ships and divers to cut the anchor cables. I just keep thinking, man, these are amazing, amazing feats that are going on here. Alexander responded by replacing the cables with chains. Yeah, we'll show them. He goes on to, goes on to probably say... The tyrants launched another counterattack, but according to Arion, were not so fortunate this time. The surprise attack went well initially. The tyrants noticed that Alexander returned to the mainland at the same time every afternoon for a meal and rest along with much of his navy. The tyrants came upon and overtook the engineers and the builders of the mole before they had time to react. They slaughtered many of the soldiers before they were held by the remaining sailors until backup arrived, and the attack was pushed back. For some reason, on this day, Alexander had skipped that afternoon nap that he normally took and sailed around the city to capture those of the attacking forces that had made an attempt to retreat. There's a conclusion of this siege here, and I'm going to have Talon read the conclusion of the great siege of the city of Tyre. Alexander started testing the wall at various points with his rams until the rams made a small breach in the south end of the island. He then coordinated an attack across the beach with the bombardment from all sides by his navy. Alexander is said to have personally taken part in the attack on the city, fighting from the top of a siege tower. Once his troops forced their ways into the city, they easily overtook the garrison and quickly captured the city those citizens who took shelter in the temple of Melkart were pardoned by Alexander, including the king of Tyre. According to Quintus Curtis, Curtius Rufus, 6,000 fighting men were killed within the city and 2,000 tyrants were crucified on the beach. The others, some 30,000 people, were sold into slavery. The severity of reprisals reflected the, le the length of the siege and Alexander's response to the tyrants, having executed some of his soldiers on the walls in sight of the attackers. Mm. This man was not playing around. We don't have time to go necessarily into Alexander the Great's life, but he did some amazing things here, and one of the most amazing things that he did, unbeknownst to him, was fulfilling old scripture prophecy made 250 plus years prior to his to him stepping on the scene here at the city of Tyre. So, what does this show about our God? What does this reveal? A lot. Let me let me let me let me let me cap this off here as we go on to bring this to a close here, and and let's let's talk a little bit about that. The original city was never rebuilt again. Think about it. 
all of the rubble that was part of the original city was removed from its location and scraped clean and thrown into the sea, the original city could never be rebuilt. We don't even know where the original city specifically was today based on the research that I've done. Some believe that it's even underwater now because of the coast and the way it's shifted a bit and things like that. The original city could be underwater and it would rightly fit because scripture goes on to say the waters are going to cover you know, you're going to be covered by waters. So it could just be a coral reef right now, for all we know. But anyway, the original city was never rebuilt again. The city also could never have even been rebuilt because when Alexander came in, he used the the stones and all the things that were used from the city, and he used it and threw it in the water to make a land bridge to get to the island to use the catapults to destroy the walls. But, I mean, that city was thrown into the water. Every All the, the supplies, the everything evidence, that yeah. was left over was thrown into yep. the water for a yep. land bridge. Yep. Such detail. And you, and some people might have looked at that prophecy and wondered, why why would we throw the city into the water? Like, <laughs> what the heck's that all about? And, well, we found out. It was 250 years after a lot of people probably thought it was going to take place because when it, because it, it mentions one person by name in the prophecy. But it goes on to say, many nations shall come against thee. And goes on to give other specific details that were not found in Nebuchadnezzar, but those specific details were found in, in Alexander the Great's siege of the city of Tyre. What we also need to note is that the causeway bridge that was built and created, which uh, used from the rubble from the city of Tyre, is now seen as peninsula over the last 2,200 years has filled in, and that original island is no longer an island. You'll see it if you pull up the city of Tyre on a map. You'll see a peninsula sunk in into uh, sticking out of the, of the land there and in a place where very likely the original city of Tyre was, can be speculated along the shore there or just off the shore. And then you can go out and you can see where the original island was and is now a peninsula because it's connected by this causeway where debris and things over the last 2,200 years have set in and created what is now a peninsula. It's crazy how what he did changed the landscape of this city of Tyre and its area. Pretty neat to see if you want to pull it up on Google Maps or something sometime. The people that do reside in that area, even though there is a city that was built in memory of the former city, Tyre, old Tyre, original Tyre, the Tyre area that was prophesied to be scraped off like a rock and defeated as... Uh, the prophet Ezekiel said, was never to be seen again. And we've gone into detail why that was already. And today you can go down to the shorelines of that area and see one of the major ways of living in that, in that particular area is fishing. It is a place where people commonly spread nets. So as, as Talon was trying to ask a question, a really key question a moment ago, what does this mean? What does a fulfillment of this very detailed out prophecy mean? What could it mean for us today? Does it mean anything to us today? And does it make us stop and think that, you know, the fact that Nebuchadnezzar did destroy the outlining cities, that he did go in and besiege the mound, that many nations came up against Tyre, because not only Alexander and Nebuchadnezzar came up against, whenever, whenever Alexander needed more help, he didn't just have the Phoenicians. He called upon all the other conquering um, people who were under him, who had siege equipment and who had uh, the ships that he needed to come into his aid, and they all came up against the great city of Tyre. Um, many nations did come up against Tyre. The city was flattened like the top of a rock. It was scraped clean. Stones and timbers in the soil were thrown into the sea, never to be seen again, to be, to be trod upon with the horses of uh, Alexander the Great. Um, it became a place where men spread nets, and it was never to be rebuilt. Man, how much, how much detail does God got to give you 
to show that he can fulfill a prophecy over the course of some, you know, a large amount of time. Because the people who heard the man give the prophecy, Ezekiel give the prophecy, they didn't see the fruition come. So you suppose there were some doubters in the day? Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was definitely just like today. Yeah. So just because God's not working on our timeline, understand that does not make him untrue or does that doesn't make uh, his word um, fallible. I believe God's word is infallible, and that's something I want us each to get from this particular prophecy and many other prophecies you'll find in Scripture. If you want to really uh, find out a re- another good prophecy that you find in Scripture, just research the birth of Jesus Christ. There's some amazing things to find there, some amazing things that I think will help strengthen your faith. So when somebody asks you or tells you, you can't trust that Bible, you can't trust that book because there's so many errors and fouls in there and so many things that, that, that were contradicted and the, you know not, nothing actually happened. It was just make-believe. Somebody made it up in a monastery. You can step back and at least say, well, there's a, this one story I know about in the Old Testament that a city was prophesied to be totally destroyed in great detail. And over the course of 225, 250, I believe, 50 plus years, 250 plus years, was totally fulfilled to the letter, not leaving out a single detail. I mean, that, that's it's crazy to think about. It's amazing to think about as believers because I believe it, it helps me strengthen my faith. And if God says that this city's going to be destroyed and he also says that he's coming back someday, yeah, that gives me some food for thought and some comfort in his promises to me and to you. Amen. Amen. That was exactly, I mean, that the whole reason for prophecy is not only to show that God's word is completely true, it's infallible, that it's perfect, but that also God is in control. Yeah. He knows all things. He's omniscient, omnipresent. He's omnipotent, all powerful. He is God almighty. Yeah. The alpha and omega, the beginning and the end. Beginning and the end, yeah. And he is the one who declares what will happen. He is the one who declares what the outcome will be. And this isn't the only prophecy that we've seen fulfilled. Mm. Not even close to the sure. only one. Amen. And we might do some more in the future, but yeah. this is a very detailed one that you can look and see, wow, this all happened exactly word for word. And you can use that as evidence for the word of God and its infallibility. Yeah, and and maybe something that helped the foundation of of not only your faith, but to bring somebody else to the knowledge that there is actually truth in here, you know, and use that to open the door to say, well, if God can fulfill this, just like that man, you know, in the in the make believe story at the beginning, fulfilled all the license plate numbers of the cars and things like that. I mean, if if God can do this, what does He mean when He says, "I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father but by Me"? What does He mean when He says, "I'm coming again someday"? Behold, I come quickly. What does that mean? Well, it means it's it's true. If God can do this, what more could he do with our lives when he promises that he's coming again, that he's never going to leave us, that none of these words shall pass away till all these things be fulfilled? Like God's word stands true. Believe it. Trust it. Let it guide you today. The word of God, the Bible, get into it personally. Make it personal. This walk is personal. Don't let the pastor make your walk for you. That's, that's not how you grow. That's not how you learn. God wants to be your personal Lord and Savior. Wake up tomorrow, stand up, spiritually salute and say, reporting for duty, my Lord, what do you have for me today? And let him guide you in the things that he would have you do and say that day, every day. Amen. Let's uh, let's close this out. Thanks again for joining us for uh, the Bold Believer Podcast, episode number six. If you've enjoyed or liked what you heard today or would find some of the content helpful, please share it or subscribe or uh, uh, follow us wherever you get your podcast. And uh, come back next week for another episode of the Bold Believer Podcast. This is Josh Schneider signing out for another uh, episode here. And this is Talon closing. Love you guys. We'll see you in the next one.
Thanks again for listening to today's episode. Be sure to give us a rating and follow us for more Christ-centered content as we learn and grow together wherever you get your podcasts. Now, go out and be a bold believer.